I'm Dinah Pat, and you're listening to Brothers On Air. Welcome to the third episode of Brothers On Air, a podcast dedicated to bringing you classic radio shows as performed by the youth of the 21st century. This podcast is a project of CBHS Theatre, run by John Smiley. It stars our own Brothers On Stage talent and is directed, produced, and edited by students. All material is used for educational purposes and is not for profit. This week, we travel back to 1942 to hear a classic detective story. The Scrap of Lace, which was originally a short story by Holbert Footner, starring detective Madame Rosica Story, was adapted to air on the popular crime radio show Murder Clinic. These stories entertain listeners with suspense and thrills, as we hope to do today. Our show stars Bert Kadimo as Rosica Story, Bonnie Bryan as Mimi, Brian as Teresa DeGuan, Jesse Gomez as Jack Rowcliffe, Kai Hawkins as Louise Mayfield, Dinah Pat as Suzanne and Vera McPeak, Nina Grizzle as Bella Brickley, and Jeb Bryan as Gargan. You'll also hear Peter Bowen as the announcer and Carter Strickland as the butler. And now, it's time to put your detective hats on. You might think you know the truth, but remember, everything is not as it seems. Murder Clinic, stories of the world's great detectives, men against murder. Each week at this time, War Mutual turns the spotlight on one of the world's great detectives of fiction and invites you to listen to the story of his most exciting case. Tonight, Madame Rosica's story in The Scrap of Lace. Good evening, Madame Story. Your being at Murder Clinic is certainly a novelty. You're surprised to see a woman detective, Mr. Knight? That's right. And even more surprised to see a very beautiful detective. (laughs) (laughs) It's a queer business for a woman. Being a woman gives me one great advantage. My adversaries usually underestimate me. Yes, I suppose they would. (laughs) Now, what's the tale you're going to tell us, Madam Story? It's called The Scrap of Lace. I chose it because it seems to me so unusual a crime. A strange story of jealousy and death. Of course, you know the great family of Kruger, who ruled New York society for generations. When Mrs. Peter John Kruger III died, her mantle descended as a matter of course to Mrs. Peter John Kruger IV. This beautiful and charming young woman, Mimi by name, inherited not only her mother-in-law's scepter, but also Teresa de Guan. Teresa de Guan was the first, and certainly the greatest, of social secretaries. The story begins one summer morning at Carriswood, the enormous and rather monstrous Kruger estate in Upper Westchester. Mimi and Teresa de Guan were together in the breakfast room. Oh, Teresa, must we go to that dull dinner at the Bransoms tonight? I think I'll call it off. Mimi, you simply can't do that. Hmm? The dinner's being given for you. Ugh. I was most insistent that I be consulted about the other guests. After all, my dear, you have certain responsibilities. Your mother-in-law, Mrs. Kruger III... Yes, I know. She was a paragon of the social virtues. She didn't mind being bored to death. Oh, Mimi, you are so lax. 
What would you do without me? <laughs> oh, you worry too much, Teresa. You're living in the past. Your little assistant, Louise Mayfield, could possibly take over very well. Louise? Louise Mayfield? That... Why that child? My dear Teresa, she's 21 and very competent. After all, you trained her. Yes, and I am very fond of Louise. She's like a daughter to me. But take my place? Why, surely you're joking, my dear. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. You know, Mimi, I am a bit worried about Louise. She's been acting very oddly lately. This party she's going to tonight, I have no idea where it is or who her hostess is to be. Well, wherever it is, she'll have a better time than I will. You know, Teresa. I shouldn't be surprised if Louise has been acting strangely because she's trying to keep away from my handsome cousin, Jack Rocliffe. She doesn't seem very grateful to you, Teresa, for arranging to marry him off to Vera McPeak. Jack Rowcliffe and Vera McPeak are a splendid match. He has family, position. Vera is young. She can be molded. She can be taught. <laughs> oh, certainly, yes. And her father has 100 millions. But I don't blame Jack for straying from the fold. Louise is very lovely. And I find Vera a very trying guest. In fact, I find it all very trying. Mr. Guan. Oh, there's Louise. Oh, Louise, we're in the breakfast room. Oh, come on in here, my dear. Good morning, Miss Kruger. Mr. Guan, did you want me this morning? Oh, no, Louise, I did. Teresa insists we go to this dinner tonight. Jack and Vera are going with us. We'll be leaving around seven. Tell Jack, won't you? Must I, Miss Kruger? Mrs. Kruger has asked you to deliver a message, so do so, my dear. Jack, I came only to tell you about the dinner. Oh, Louise. Please, must we go through all this again? Why don't you leave me alone? Because I'm mad about you, Louise. Can't you understand? I'm in love with you. I want you to marry me. You? Marry and support a wife? Don't be silly, Jack. It does sound silly, doesn't it? But I'm changed, I tell you. You've changed me. Louise, I love you. There's there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. And what about Vera McPeak? <laughs> no, Jack. I'm afraid you've been bought, paid for, and delivered. Vera won't let you go so easily. I'll tell her tonight that I'm through. Louise, I'll meet her at the dinner and tell her. And then... I'll come back here for you. Come back if you like, Jack. Good. I'll be back about- But I won't be here. Where are you going, Louise? Well, why don't you tell me? It's another man. I know. It's another man. Who is it? Who is it? This nonsense has gone far enough. What I do is my own business. Do you understand that, Jack? No! It's my business. You're mine, Louise. Do you hear? You're mine. I'll have you, or no one else will. Jack, let go of my wrist. Louise, tell me. You're hurting me, please. Louise, I want you to know. Let me go. Well, Jack. Vera. Still making passes at the servants, I see. Perhaps it's just as well as you saw. Might as well have this out now. Shut up. I can handle this. It's pretty easy to see what Ms. Mayfield's little game is. She thinks she'll marry into the great Kruger clan. Well, let me tell you, Ms. Mayfield, Jack hasn't got a cent to his name and never will have. 
Vera, please. I understand perfectly, Miss McPeak. I assure you, I have no ambitions in Mr. Rowcliffe's direction. Quite the lady, aren't you, Ms. Mayfield? Well, watch your step. Sure, I know what you all think of me. Vulgar, common, heh. But let me tell you, we common clay McPeaks from Pittsburgh know how to get what we want, and we know how to keep it. Think that over, Ms. Mayfield. Think that over. Yeah, come in. Mademoiselle, Miss Louise, Madame Kruger has sent me to help you dress for your engagement. Come in. How thoughtful Mrs. Kruger to send you, Suzanne. Have they gone? But we, oui. Jacquard, she left long ago. They were not happy. Monsieur Jacques, he said nothing. And Mademoiselle, his fiancée, the ugly one, she... Are mm, you say... She very angry. Even Madame, she want not to go. Well, let's not think of them, Suzanne. I'm happy, and I'm going to have a wonderful time. Well, Mademoiselle est très charmant, very lovely. It is a tryst you go to, n'est-ce pas? It is for your young man that your eyes shine so, hmm? <laughs> Maybe you're too smart, Suzanne. How do I look? Oh, ravishing mademoiselle, he will eat you up. You are so lovely. Suzanne, you are a darling. Yes, yes, who is it? A letter for Miss Mayfield. Oh, thank you. It is a letter for you, mademoiselle. For me? Why, it's a thick one, isn't it? Oh, how lovely! What an exquisite handkerchief! Why, who could have sent it to me? Madame Kruger must have sent it. It is one of the six she bought in Paris. It is perfect, mademoiselle, for your costume, n'est-ce pas? Oh, it's lovely! What a darling Miss Kruger is. Oui, she is most generous. Shall I put the scent, the perfume on it, mademoiselle? No, thank you. I'll do it myself, Suzanne. Oh, just put that bottle of gardenia perfume on my dressing table, please. Oui, mademoiselle. Now you can go, Suzanne. I won't need you anymore. Merci, mademoiselle. Bonsoir, mademoiselle. Good night, Suzanne, and thank you. Oh, it's so lovely. One more drop. Suzanne! Suzanne! Help! Suzanne! Help! John! John! In all my years of experience, Mimi, I have never had to cope with anything so... So sodded. Teresa, how how can you think of appearances with Luis, th that beautiful child, lying in there dead? <laughs> but I must think of them. After all, Dr. Plummer refuses to sign a death certificate. That old fopper, with his hints of foul play. Maybe he's right, Vera. Maybe. What do you mean, Jack? 
What do you know of Louise Mayfield's death? Well, I... Stop wrangling, you two. Dr. Plummer was kind enough to give us 36 hours. He's risking a great deal going as far as that. Oh, why doesn't Madame Story get here? Are you sure you acted wisely in calling her in, Mimi? Well, it was either she or the police. You said she had a reputation for discretion. Come in. Yes? Madame Rosica Story and Miss Bella Brickley. Thank heaven you're here, Madame Story. This is a terrible situation. Terrible. Oh, but let me introduce you. I am Teresa Guan. This is Mrs. Peter John Kruger the Fourth. How do you do? How do you do? Ms. McPeak? Hello. Miss McPeak? Mr. Rowcliffe? How do you do? How do you do, Mr. Rowcliffe? It was good of you to come so quickly, Madam Story. This unfortunate accident is likely to create a distressing scandal for Mrs. Kruger. Accident, Mr. Guan? From what you told me over the phone, I gathered that Louise Mayfield had been murdered. Nonsense. We don't know that, Madam Story. Nobody does. We only know Louise is dead. Poor child. We found her when we returned last night from our dinner party. It isn't nonsense, Teresa. And you know it. Madam Story is perfectly right. It'd be very foolish to ask her help and not give her all the facts. What facts, Mimi? Just because that old fossil of a Dr. Plummer won't give a death certificate. If you ask me, it's a nice little scheme to get you to hire this story woman and split whatever she can manage to get out of you. Vera! That's an interesting idea, Miss McPeak. Though I must confess that so simple and clever a scheme would never have occurred to me. But surely Dr. Plummer offered some other reason for refusing a death certificate. Yes, he says. Oh, it's impossible, but he says Louise was asphyxiated. Old fool. There isn't a gas outlet in the house. How helpful of you to know that, Miss McPeak. You won't mind, will you, if I check for myself? I don't mind what you do. Oh, what's all the use of this? We've nothing to tell. All of us were at dinner party, 20 miles from here, together. When we got home after 11, we found Louise... Well, that is Miss Mayfield dead. I see. Mr. Guan, when you phoned me, you said something about some missing object. Suzanne, the maid, insists a lace handkerchief came in the mail for Louise as she was dressing to leave. When we found her, the handkerchief had disappeared. Very interesting. Suppose I start, then, by questioning this maid, Suzanne. Maybe she can tell me about this missing handkerchief. Good morning, Bella. Good morning, Madam Story. Typing last night's notes, I see. Yes. Say, you look worried. What is it? Oh, how can one look out at that peaceful garden and realize that, in this house... There's someone carrying the mark of Cain on their soul. Then you believe Louise Mayfield's death was not a natural one? That she was murdered? No doubt about it, Bella. That girl was asphyxiated. Oh, how horrible. So young and so full of life. And it's our job to find out who killed her. Have you finished typing those notes you took from our interminable interviews last night? Not quite. I'm almost finished. 
Well, then, I think I'll step out on the terrace. Maybe the fresh air will help me think. Something is bothering you. Yes, Bella. What happened to that lace handkerchief Louise Mayfield received in the mail? I'm sure that was the thing that killed her. I must find it. Do call me when you're through with those notes, please. Ah, Madame Story, you come out and shame the flowers and dim the sunlight. Do you always make such pretty speeches, even so early in the morning, Mr. Rowcliffe? Ah, beautiful lady, you remember my name. Yours would be a difficult name to forget, Mr. Rowcliffe. Hmm? Thanks to the Rotogravure and the picture magazines. <laughs> Oh, that, you know, I had no hope of ever meeting you. I can aspire to your circle. Much too clever. Hmm. It all depends. I should say that you are quite clever enough for your own purpose, Mr. Rowcliffe. <laughs> I'm just a lightweight. I wonder. I see you're standing out here under her window. That is Miss Mayfield's room up there, isn't it? Yes, sir. That was her room. Ivy-clad walls. Old English ivy. Sturdy and strong, too. I wonder why the vines are so torn and broken. Oh, are they? I, I haven't noticed. You loved Louise Mayfield very much, didn't you? Yes, I loved her more than anything in my life. And she? Oh, why should she care for me? What am I? Nothing but a wastrel. She was in love with someone else. I know it. I could tell. But if I'd known who it was, I'd... Why didn't you tell me, Mr. Rowcliffe? You'd left the dinner party and came back here last night. How did you know that I did? I didn't. You've just told me. Oh. Thank you. Well, there. You see... I... I told you! You're too clever for me. What time was it when you got here? Well, I don't know. It was about 9.30, I think. I see. You came around back here in the garden. You saw a light in her window. Called her. Got no answer. Then you climbed up that... You climbed that ivy up to her window. Didn't you? Well... I... who saw me? Nobody, as far as I know. That broken ivy tells its own story. But not all of it. Tell me, what did you do when you got up there? I suppose you're thinking that I killed her. I wouldn't blame you if you did. And I don't care too much if you do. I've got nothing more- Please, please, Mr. Rowcliffe. I'm sorry. Well, I- I went in- and found her lying there on the floor, dead. Then, like the coward that I am, I got scared. How could I explain my being there? So I climbed down again, the way I went up, and drove back to Quaker Bridge. I suppose you didn't believe me. Suppose I say I reserve judgment. Now, will you give me the handkerchief that you took from Louise Mayfield's hand? How did you know that? It's obvious. I suppose that you took it is as a remembrance of her. Yes, I, I did. It was the last thing she touched. Here it is. 
Thank you. Madam Story? Madam Story? Could you come into the office a moment? We'll continue this talk later, Mr. Rowcliffe. Will you excuse me now, please? Certainly. So this letter was pushed under the door. Did you open it, Bella? No. I saw it was addressed to Louise Mayfield, so I called you. I see. Hmm. It's postmarked Briarcliff. Here's a notation on the envelope in pencil. Hmm. <laughs> Not a very little literate correspondent, Bella. If you want to buy any more info about this letter, we can make a deal. I'll drop it around at 11. Well, we haven't long to wait. Now let's read the letter. Darling, I can hardly wait till Tuesday night when I'll see you again. I'm moving heaven and earth to arrange things that will be together for always. All my love, dear. It's signed, Jay. Jay? That must be Jack Rowcliffe. In light of all that we know of their relationship, does it sound like Jack Rowcliffe? No, that's stupid of me. But the initial? Mm. It could be that J stands for John. Peter John Kruger. Uh-huh. This must be our mysterious correspondent now. Come in. Well, ladies, here I am. Johnny on the spot. Like I says, do we do business? You're the Kruger chauffeur, aren't you, Mr. Uh... Gargan's name. Chauffeur and bodyguard. I'm sure you're efficient in both departments, Mr. Gargan. But, uh, why the bodyguard? Well, it's like this. The Krugers are important people, see? Mm-hmm. They're likely to be bothered by cranks and other undesirable citizens. Get it? They need protection. And I'm the guy who can protect him. Yes, I can see that, Gargan. But now, um, about this letter. Yeah, that's right. Well, do I sing or don't I? It depends on your song, Gargan. First, tell me, how did you manage to get hold of this letter? Well, it's like this. I always get the mail, see? And I always deliver it. But yesterday, Mrs. Kruger and the old dame are with me. And I go in and get the mail, and I look through it to see if there's, any, if there's something for me. And I see this letter. When I come out to the car, Mrs. Cooker says, Give me the mail. I hands it to her, and when I get it back, this letter ain't with the others. Well, I don't think about it till last night, when this Mayfield dame was bumped off. Then I begin to smell a rat. And this morning, I did a little mooching around, and here it is. Very graphic, Gargan. How's that? Oh, skip it. Now, um, what further information have you to give us, Gargan? I can tell you who sent that letter to the Mayfield dame. So? For how much? Half a G. Five hundred dollars. <laughs> That's an expensive song, Gargan. Oh, nuts. You can put it on the expense account. You're right. That's it is. The five hundred dollars is yours. Thank you. Here you are. Now, who sent this letter to Louise Mayfield? Well, it was the one... Ah! Uh. Gargan! Madam Story, is he dead? Yes. The shot came through that window. But why? To keep him from telling us who sent that letter to Louise. 
Help me put him in the closet over there. Rosica, I won't let you. You can't. You've got to report it. If I report it now, the police would interfere with all my plans. I need 24 hours. You're risking your reputation. We've taken risks before. <laughs> but this is concealing a murder. Why do you need 24 hours? To learn the secret of this, Bella. Why? Why, that's one of Miss Kruger's handkerchiefs. No, Bella. It's the handkerchief. The one Rowcliffe found on Louise Mayfield's body. I'm staking my reputation on this little scrap of lace. Madam Story, Potter is back. Oh, that's good, Bella. Did he bring back the handkerchief in the laboratory report? Yes, here they are. Hmm. Just as I thought. Oh, what a horrible use of such a lovely thing. This handkerchief was the murder weapon, Bella. But how could it have been? Because our murderer knew that Louise Mayfield used gardenia toilet water. Can we find out who sent it? I rather think we can, Bella. Get those four lace handkerchiefs that Suzanne got for me from Mrs. Kruger. What are you going to do now? Now, my dear Bella, I'm going to present a noose to a murderer. Mr. Rowcliffe, I wanted to return this handkerchief to you for safekeeping. I'll want it back tomorrow morning. I don't know how at present, but I feel this handkerchief will be the means of proving who killed Louise Mayfield. So guard it carefully. Well, I'll do that. You can depend on me, Madam Story. Thank you, Mr. Rowcliffe. Miss McPeak, the greatest proof that I'm not against you is that I'm going to ask you to keep this handkerchief for me, the most important piece of evidence I have. I have no assurance the murderer would not kill me to get it back, but it would never be supposed that I'd given it to you to guard. Will you keep it for me until tomorrow morning? Oh, don't worry. I'll keep it safe. Thank you, Miss McPeak. Mrs. Kruger, this is the handkerchief. The one that was sent to Louise Mayfield. Where'd you get it? Can't tell you that now, but I'm afraid it was the cause of her death. Oh, how horrible. What I'm going to ask you to do is to hold it for me, just until tomorrow morning. But Miss Guan, you can help. What is the real situation, Madam Story? Oh, I wish I knew. I, I suspect, but I have no proof. I can go no further without the assistance from chemists. What I want you to do is keep this for me. Until tomorrow morning. Mrs. Kruger, I have asked you, Mr. Guan, Miss McPeak, and Mr. Rowcliffe to meet me this morning in order that we may determine who murdered Louise Mayfield. What, what, do you what are you mean? talking about? You know, Madam Story, you know who killed her? I believe I do, Mrs. Kruger, but I hope to prove it. I know that lace handkerchief sent to her through the mail was the murder weapon. Perhaps that can tell us something. May I have the handkerchief, please? Here. Why, certainly. Sure, my Here dear. Here you are. Why, I thought... I don't understand. I say, what is this? So, a trick! That's right, Miss McPeak, a trick. But only, only a guilty person need fear. Guilty. But really, Madam Story, I don't understand. 
Bella? Yes, Madam Story? Please take the handkerchiefs one at a time. Mark each in pencil with the initials from the person from who you received it. May I have the handkerchiefs, please? Yes, here's mine. <laughs> one at a time, please. Well, all right. Now, Bella, spread them on your desk with the initials turned face down. As you probably surmise, none of you had the original handkerchief. That has never left my possession. Here it is. But I don't understand. This handkerchief in my hand was impregnated with a deadly poison. When moistened with alcohol, it released a lethal gas, which is instantly fatal. May I remind you that perfume is 90% alcohol, and a young girl about to go out on a romantic tryst would inevitably moisten it with perfume. How horrible. Yes, Mr. Guan, I agree with you. But, but surely you don't suspect any of us. Why not, Miss McPeak? I found that a murderer is usually actuated by fear. Fear of what the victim might do to them. All of you faced that fear as far as Louise Mayfield was concerned. But one of you feared so deeply that you dared risk murder to protect what you had. You feared loss of position, prestige, supplanting by a younger, more attractive girl. Loss of all that had made life worth living. That one person alone knew what the fatal handkerchief contained. And gave each one of you what you thought was the handkerchief. I was curious to see what disposition you would make of the evidence. Bella. Yes? Please examine the, those four handkerchiefs carefully. And when you've done that, tell me if any of them have changed since they last left our hands last evening. Yes, this one's been washed. Washed? Well, I don't understand. Read the initials on it. T. D. G. Teresa? Teresa? Keep away from me. Keep away from me, I say. Keep away from me. I'll shoot. Why, you... <coughs> Gosh, she shot herself. Oh, it's all my fault. Poor Teresa. Poor thing. She she was old. She, she couldn't stand it. She just couldn't stand it. No, Mrs. Kruger. It wasn't your fault. It was better so. The end of a passing world. Exit an era. Thank you for listening to the third installment of Brothers on Air, The Scrap of Lace, based on the works of Holbert Futner. It was directed and edited by Dinah Pat and featured the voice talents of Peter Bowen, Bonnie Bryan, Brian, Kai Hawkins, Jesse Gomez, Dinah Pat, Bert Cademo, Nina Grizzle, Jeb Bryan, and Carter Strickland. Sound effects can be attributed to the Final Cut Pro Sound Effects Library, and the music is royalty-free music created by Mark Kufner, Albert Marlowe, Bobby Cole, Keith Anthony Holden, Jeff Broadbent, and Veer Silberstein. We hope that you'll join us next week for another exciting tale. This has been a CBHS Theatre production.